1: After issuance. See dkng.com bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
2: The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world.
3: We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosen.
4: We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: I mean, it's different eras. So there was regular seats, which are beautiful, and there was woods, which are beautiful too. So you probably see me when I started... Be able to touch them woods um because the energy in the regular seats is is unbelievable um anywhere in that arena is beautiful you know what I'm saying but it's also a blessing to be able to sit on the woods right beside the heat and just feel that energy and hear the conversations and the thought processes and then and the pressure you know up close and personal is is it's a blessing
6: Just about everyone who was anybody wanted to be near this Miami Heat team once things turned around, not just DJ Khaled. Welcome back to Four Years of Heat. I'm your host, Israel Gutierrez, and this is Episode 3, The Big Failure. Last we checked, the Miami Heat were rolling into 2011, winning 21 of 22 games. In fact, they'd won 22 of 24 with the only two L's, being those foreshadowing losses to the Dallas Mavericks. But there would be another formidable foe testing every last nerve of the Miami Heat. That team was the Chicago Bulls. But unlike the rivalry with the Mavericks, this conflict had a couple more layers to it. This one began before Miami even signed Bosch, Wade, and James. Because the Bulls were trying to do the exact same thing. Signed Bosch, Wade, and James probably in that order. We were trying to get all those guys to come to Chicago. You know, the goal was always to get the team as strong as possible. That was Joe Kim Noah. He was a 13-year NBA veteran, a two-time All-Star, and the Defensive Player of the Year in 2014. He also won a pair of national titles for my Florida Gators in college, which is probably an unnecessary note, but hey, the host gets a little leeway. He spent the first nine years of his career with the Bulls, and given that his teammate Derrick Rose wasn't the most vocal or outgoing of stars, the gregarious Noah was offering his best recruiting pitches when Miami's trio were free agents in 2010. But I remember Chris Bosh coming to Chicago, and he
7: wasn't sure yet. I could tell, and I mean, Chicago would have been such a good fit for him, so I, was, I always felt like if, if Bosh came, that you
6: could get those other guys too. This wasn't some desperate dream for Chicago either. Remember when Wade said he didn't talk to LeBron for a few days prior to the decision? Well, Wade wanted to make sure all his bases were covered before he re-signed with Miami as well. And that meant checking in with his hometown team of Chicago one more time before committing. As Brian Windhorst of ESPN tells it, Wade made one final visit to Chicago with the very real intention of trying to bring the trio to a Bulls team already featuring Rose and Noah.
8: When Dwayne Wade had two meetings with the Bulls, um, he didn't have that second meeting for fun. He was seriously wanting to listen to them. Um, and the, the dynamics around that were very interesting because in the first meeting with the Bulls, um, the Bulls didn't give Dwayne Wade their entire pitch because they were afraid that Dwayne was going to take their um their ideas and their plans for free agency immediately back to the heat. They thought they were getting a cursory meeting and after meeting with the heat and hearing the triple threat idea from Pat Riley to, to get himself to stay and to add Bosh and LeBron. When Wade um, asked for the second meeting with the bulls, he asked the bulls if they could create enough salary cap space to be able, to be able to bring in Bosh and LeBron. And so in a way, When the Bulls first met with Dwayne, they were concerned that he was going to be a mole. When in fact, at the end, it was actually Dwayne that took the Heat's plan to the Bulls and presented it. Because frankly, with Joe Kim Noah and Derrick Rose on the roster, their team could have been even better with the big three than the Heat could have been.
6: In the end, the Bulls wound up signing free agent Carlos Boozer from Utah to add to their youthful mix of talent. With the Bulls having been the closest team outside of Miami or Cleveland to sign LeBron, Bosch or Wade, it provided the backdrop for what would be a contentious season between the teams. Noah and the Bulls settled comfortably into that rivalry, not just because they had a talented roster headed by a player who would be named MVP at the end of the season, but because they felt the support from around the country from people who wanted to see Miami fail.
7: There was a lot of people who hated the heat. So we actually kind of felt like We were like the underdog you know the guys who had a chance to get them and that was that was pretty cool i you know i felt that not just for love from chicago but from
6: from all around the country you know because there wasn't too many teams that could even compete with them indeed the heat were 30 and 11 going into the first regular season meeting with the bulls miami had lost two straight one without james to start a road trip but it was nothing like the panicky losses from the start of the season that is until the Heat got to Chicago. January 15th was the first of three regular season losses to the Bulls, all agonizingly close games. And if there were major questions hovering around the Heat at the time, among them was the classic, who'll lead the way late in a close game? Not so much for the 99-96 first loss to the Bulls, because LeBron sat that game out and Bosch was playing through an aggravated back injury. The second meeting with the Bulls happens five weeks later, again in Chicago. Here's where it really started to look like the Bulls had the Heat's number. Miami had its three stars available, but only two really showed up to play on this night. Bosch not only had his worst career shooting night, going one for 18 from the field with Noah guarding him most of the night, but he had probably the floppiest moment of his career, falling to the ground and grabbing his face after Boozer maybe grazed it with his
5: elbow.
9: Boozer and Bosch.
5: because all Boozer did was turn right into him. This is all about selling it, Cal. Sometimes
10: you've got to sell it.
6: And if it was support from the others Bosch was hoping for, he wouldn't get that either. The Heat bench scored all of two points in this game, an Eddie House bucket. Oh, and LeBron, Wade, and Bosch all played more than 40 minutes in a regular season game in February. That's almost unthinkable in today's regular season NBA. Miami still only lost that game by four points. Then there was the third and final meeting of the season, the only one in Miami, just two weeks removed from the last matchup. This time, the Heat bench tripled its output, giving the Heat six whopping points from reserves. Rose outscored everyone with 27 points, and the Heat lost a one-point game, scoring just 86 points, the lowest total of the three meetings and it was a painful finish that fed into all of the Heat teams' insecurities. Here's a portion of the NBA TV highlights from that night with Mark Fine and Brent Barry.
5: Now, Chicago up one last play. Who's gonna get the ball?
0: LeBron. Well, LeBron James here on an isolation on Noah. You take your chances here, but again, Miami Heat, is the talk of the town, not able to finish. Dwayne Wade gets a second chance. And no good. <laughs> Two of the three do miss there. And, and hey, great win for the Chicago Bulls on the road, beating a Miami Tee team that again, desperately wanted to win. They have lost
5: four straight now.
6: After the game, Heat coach Eric Spolstra wanted to get across to the media and viewing audience just how much his players cared. But Spolster apparently broke an unwritten rule that professional basketball players can't show emotional vulnerability.
7: That's the only thing it's about right now, uh, and this is uh, painful for every single one of us going uh, through this. There are a couple guys crying in the, in the locker room uh, right now. It is not a matter of want. Uh, it is a matter of doing uh, and continuing to put ourselves in this position until we break through.
6: Spolster's revelation led to Wade being asked about the emotional locker room. I know you guys get tired of sitting up here explaining the same
9: thing over and over again, but... Exposure said it was an emotional locker room afterwards. Some guys were crying and that kind of thing. Um, where, where is this team right now mentally, um, just from a psyche standpoint?
7: Well, right now, um, you know, we,
11: we, uh, we, we lost four in a row. You know, we lost um, three, um, three out of four that we should have won, could have won at home. Uh, so, you know, we had to figure it out. You know, we, inside our locker room, you know, we stick together. You know, we're brothers. You know, we win together, we lose together. Um, outside the Miami Heat are exactly what everyone wanted, you know, losing games. The world's better now since so the Heat is losing. Uh, but we'll figure it out,
7: you know. It's just, it's just painful. It hurts. You know, we're competitors. We're winners. We're human. And, um, you know, we'll move on and try to learn from it.
12: From the frustration.
7: <laughs> you the want to game? know if I was crying? Why you want to know if I was crying? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the question is, I'm not going to tell you that.
6: I remember leaving that post-game news conference with Spolstra thinking, wow, regular season basketball doesn't get more intense than this. And Spo really brought that home with just the one observation. What the rest of the country seemed to be saying, though, was some combination of the Heat are a weak-minded group and Spolstra is not the coach for them if he's betraying locker room confidences. Frankly, it was some of the harshest overreaction to this Heat team, and that's saying a lot. I mean, how often does a sports viewing audience love to see the raw emotion of competition? It humanizes athletes and we love it. Apparently, not when it's LeBron, Wade, and Bosch, as reports eventually surfaced that players on other teams were quietly mocking the emotional heat. It would be, regular season-wise, the heat's lowest point. Lower even than the nine and eight start because those were expected growing pains from a group of new teammates. Tim Reynolds of the Associated Press believes the Heat actually needed to experience both the losses to the Bulls and the re-emergence of all the questions surrounding the team.
9: Every loss was enormous and there was no joy in the wins. So it just seemed like with every loss, when they was 27 that first year, I think they, they went 55, something like that. It just felt like they went 0-27. The wins were forgotten. And so, with every loss, it just got progressively angrier, the questions got louder, the joy for a lot of people got got heightened by, they're not good enough, they're not good enough, they're not good enough, they're not good enough. (laughs) Chicago probably was one of a lot of tipping points that year, Um, but again, that team it didn't know it then, but it needed nine and eight. It needed something to chase. It needed to stumble against certain teams. It needed to have questions. It needed to have doubters. If, if they'd gone 73 and nine, like the Warriors did in 16, they probably wouldn't have won either. They, they needed that for whatever reason, they needed these opponents, real or imagined, to pop up and get in their path. The
6: Bulls were very real, not imagined and they would definitely pop up again. The Heat ended that season winning 15 of their last 18 games, settling into the number two seed behind those Chicago Bulls. The first round against the Philadelphia 76ers of Drew Holiday, Elton Brand, and Andre Iguodala was a drama-free five-game series win for Miami. The second round was another five-game series, this time over the hated Celtics. This felt like such an accomplishment LeBron got on his knee and bowed his head after the game.
5: James over Pierce. That might be the dagger.
6: Give something it necessarily It's oh, a steal.
5: It. By James. One devastating turnover for Boston after another. West just going into the chest. LeBron. Miami is going to close it out. Um, Dwayne Wade and LeBron James exercising some demons.
6: Dramatic for a second-round win, but that's how big a rival the Celtics were to LeBron, who would apologize to the city of Cleveland afterward for having to leave there just to beat Boston. It was a bit of a tease, though, as the most intense series against Boston was still a year away. So we'll just move on to the Eastern Conference Finals against those confident Bulls. It was the first time the Heat were actually expected to fail. They were facing the number one seeded Bulls that matched up well against Miami, and they had the explosive MVP in Derrick Rose, who was threatening to take the league right from under LeBron in the Heat. The Bulls took game one of the series in Chicago with relative ease, 103-82. Bosch, who'd had his career-worst shooting performance against the Bulls earlier in the season, managed to drop 30 in game one. But James and Wade combined for just 33.
5: A very quiet night for LeBron James, just five for 15, 15 points to Wayne Wade, seven of 17, just 18 points. Nice ball movement here by the Bulls. They swing it out, Watson for three. Oh! oh! It's Taj Gibson, again! I have been to the mountaintop <laughs> and back. Taj Gibson, with the follow dunk. The Bulls is excited about this young, energetic team. 9.7 rebounds. A couple of sensational dunks by Gibson. The Bulls just run out the clock. A sensational night for the Bulls here in Chicago. They take game one of this Eastern Conference Final Series, and they do it emphatically.
6: After the game, however, Joakim Noah made note of what he saw from the Heat, or rather, what the Heat made him notice. Um, You know, we won game one. And something I remember from that was
7: the whole Miami team was just waiting outside, uh, outside the locker room after the games. Usually you go straight back to the bus, you handle your business. But the whole, they really send a message by just all being outside, like, like we've been here before. Uh, I'll never, I'll never forget that. They wanted us to see them, you know, before we left, and let them know like we're all right. You know, this is, a, this is a long series, so yeah, I, I remember that.
6: And you think that was hundred percent intentional? Like they wanted you to see that? A hundred percent.
7: You know, that's that's the game within the game. You know, that people you forget, but talking about it, I, I'll, I never talk about these things, but you know. It's a
6: real war out there. It's it's not checkers, it's chess. The Heat made their presence felt, despite the loss. And the team had another surprise for the Bulls in Game 2. You remember all the hullabaloo around Udonis Haslam and the Heat's main players taking pay cuts to bring him back to the team? Well, all that sacrifice didn't result in much to this point, thanks to a foot injury early in the season. Haslam had surgery to repair a Lisfranc fracture in November 2010, and it was believed to be season-ending. But by the time the Eastern Conference Finals arrived, Haslam had played three brief minutes late in the Boston series and the final four minutes of garbage time in Game One against Chicago. He was ready for more. I remember that. I remember that. I mean, Joe Kim Noah. I remember Joe Kim Noah and um, Boozer was kicking
13: our ass. I mean, physically, yeah, they were young. They were they were ambitious, um, they were physical, um, and they were giving us everything we wanted. Um, and you know, even though we had you know a lot of Braun and a lot of D Wade, um, they were a good team. They were a good team. That like Kirk Heinrich, um, you know, they was they were solid. They were. If it was any team that was probably built to give us, you know, hell, um, it was probably that team. You know, what I'm saying them in Indiana. Um, so I just remember coming in practice the day before and telling sport, boy, I, I, I want to play. I'm, I'm ready. I want to play. I think I can help us. Um, I went through that practice the day before. Um, I got okay, and um, I just knew the next day I, I was, I, I was going to play, and um, I just knew that I was going to have an impact. Because I had been watching that series. I've been watching the physicality, and I'm thinking, in my, in my mind, I'm saying to myself, if I'm in their locker room, I'm going to try to beat these guys up. You know, this is how I'm gonna combat the greatness and the athleticism and the speed and the skill. I'm just gonna beat them up. I'm making physical. Um and once again, that's right up my alley. Like I told you, they can't they 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 wanted me to be here for a reason. You know, they they sacrificed for me for a reason.
6: Um so once again I'm gonna give them their money's worth. <laughs> Haslam's toughness, rebounding, defense, and leadership were elements the Heat had been missing all season. And in this game too. Haslam provided it all in his first real game back.
5: Nice pass, Haslam from Bibby, that counts and the foul. Here is Brewer, and the rebound is handled by Bibby. Again, the heat in the open floor. Haslam with the stuff. You've got us, Haslam puts it down. (laughs) I didn't know Taj Gibson was playing for Miami this game. He's back, Haslam is back. That is a 10-0 run here for Miami.
6: The Heat held the Bulls to 75 points, and they out-rebounded Chicago by four after getting buried on the glass in Game 1, all part of the Haslam effect. Now, LeBron did his thing also. More, actually. He not only led the Heat to victory, but he helped calm some of the concern that he would fold under pressure. Back in Miami, the Heat managed two more wins and headed back to Chicago to close the series. Even that required a superhuman finish from the duo of Wade and James. Down 12 with just over three minutes left in the game, the pair scored 16 of the game's next 18 points to take the lead with 30 seconds remaining. What couldn't they do?
5: 77, 65, Chicago, Wade on the run, banks it home, James for three, yes! LeBron James from downtown weighed on a step back for three and he was fouled by Rowe. James for three and the game is tied at 79. The Bulls call for time. LeBron with the step back. Yes, Miami has taken the lead.
6: A pair of Bosch free throws and excellent defense by LeBron against the MVP Rose sealed the 83-80 win and a berth in the NBA Finals. A regular season of aggravation and tears versus Chicago turned into just another five-game series win for Miami.
5: Down of three, down of two. Here's Rose, can he get it off? It is blocked, that will do it! The Miami Heat have come from behind to defeat the Chicago Bulls 83-80, and Miami is headed to the NBA Finals for another the the Mavericks. This
13: is what we came together for. We get back to the finals and uh, give ourselves an opportunity to, to host that trophy. D-Wade's done it once, and I've been working my tail off for
6: eight years to try it, to do it. And, uh, you know, this is a big step for us. It felt like the fairy tale had already been written. The Dallas Mavericks would eventually await them in the finals, but that team couldn't possibly provide the nightmare fuel the Bulls did throughout the season. Sure, they swept Miami in the regular season, but both of those happened before the Heat found their true groove. Yep, that's pretty much what the rest of the basketball viewing audience figured as well. Heat v. Mavs, it was going to be a coronation for King James. This is where the narrator is supposed to say, it wasn't.
5: Moving to his right to the top of the arc and down to Dirk, he's open for three on the way. Gone, it's gone with 26.7 seconds remaining. A 20 to 2 run, one of the most incredible comebacks in NBA Finals history.
0: The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings sportsbook app now and use code DKHOOPS. That's code DKHOOPS for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks, only on DraftKings. The crown is yours.
1: Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text hope ny In Connecticut... Help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com/bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
10: I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery. But that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily, as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story, which has morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she? As my father believed, a witch. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe.
3: Mexico will likely have its first female president.
9: And then you have China.
2: basically everyone was expecting if not a calamity certainly a recession but the problem is that that paperwork as our reporting showed is fake someone who's covering the market i'm often very worried about an imminent collapse i'm thinking about it quite often listen to the big take on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts
6: the 2011 dallas mavericks finished third in the western conference They finished second in the Southwest Division. They had one all-star, Dirk Nowitzki, and a reputation for not getting it done in the playoffs. Whether it was a finals loss after being up two games to none in 2006.
5: Terry puts it up, won't go, rebound way. The Miami Heat, they've done it. They win their first championship in franchise history.
6: Or a first round exit with the MVP version of Nowitzki.
5: The greatest upset in the history of the NBA playoffs. They have defeated the Dallas Mavericks in six as the confetti comes from above. 1186 the final score.
6: But entering the 2011 finals, they had just accomplished three series victories that, at least in their own minds, erased all of those past frustrations. Series wins over the Brandon Roy-led Trailblazers, the two-time defending champion Los Angeles Lakers, and the young Oklahoma City trio of Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden, had the Mavericks believing they were prepared for any challenge.
5: For the second time in franchise history, the Dallas Mavericks will play for the NBA championship. And five years after the fact, there's this matter of unfinished business.
6: Mark Cuban may have been one of the few who actually thought the Mavericks could win the
2: series. All I can say is there's 20-some thousand people in, in this building who believed in us when nobody else did. There's all the guys in this organization and on the court who believed in us and fought every game, every minute of the way. And all I can tell everybody is we ain't done yet.
6: And sure. It'd be great to get a detailed look back at those finals with Nowitzki or even Jason Kidd, the point guard on the team who's now the Mavericks head coach. But trust me, Brendan Haywood is going to provide the 2011 finals recap you didn't know you needed. See, Haywood was a center on that Mavs team, but he'd also had plenty of experience playing against LeBron in the playoffs, as he was part of a Washington Wizards team that lost to James and the Cavaliers in three postseason series. He already knew how to lose to LeBron, so he was confident his coaching staff in Dallas, led by head coach Rick Carlisle, would teach him how to beat LeBron. We had a great coaching staff.
11: I'm talking about you got Rick Carlisle on there. You got Dwayne Casey leading our defense. You got Terry Stotts, who's our offensive coordinator. Like We had an incredible coaching staff. So we were more focused on... Let's focus on what they're saying on how we can beat this team. Because every single series that they gave us the blueprint to how we were going to win, we won. Doing exactly what they said do. And it worked every single time. So we weren't worried about what the Heat were doing. We're like, hey, if we listen to these guys,
6: we have a chance. So what was the game plan?
11: Uh, The first thing was Rick Carlisle showed us LeBron's shooting percentages for the playoffs. And it was something ungodly, like 58% or something like that. And then he said, okay, this is what he shoots outside of 15 feet. And it was something incredibly low, like 17%. It was a kind of similar similar strategy that we have with Russell Westbrook. And so we were like, okay, so what are we going to, we have to make sure that the paint is walled off. If you go back in that series, you'll see Jason Kidd on fast breaks, sprinting back to make sure that LeBron doesn't see an a, a open painted area or Sean Marion, whoever it is. So, the first thing we had to do is we got to load up and stop him from getting into the paint. I don't care if we're giving up shots on the weak side. We're going to help off Dwayne Wade. We understand he's great, but he doesn't really want to shoot from three. We might even give up a couple of threes to make sure that LeBron doesn't go superhero mode in the lane. That was number one. We're going under screens. But we did it differently. And here's where guys mess up with LeBron James. They give him space because, like I said, especially early on, because he, he, he doesn't shoot it as well from three as like a Steph Curry, so they, they back up. That's the worst thing you can do because he takes up the space. So Rick wanted Sean Marion, Deshaun Stevenson, Jason Kidd, pick him up full court as much as possible. I want, all, I want Even in the half court, I want you to be into him. And then when Tyson or myself call out screen, we want you to recognize where the screen is coming from and meet him on the other side. We'll give up as many jumpers as possible. And if you get beat, don't worry. You have weak side help. We'll even give up some of those jumpers. But everything was pressure LeBron and don't let him get into the lane. Where people mess up guarding LeBron is they back up off of him and they let him see everything. So now he sees the whole floor and he can attack you, get downhill, dunk on you, create free throws, or even when he misses, three guys had to try to block his shot. So now the weak side rebound is open. And we just did we just did things slightly differently at that point.
6: So it was it was obviously a big three from them, but you were more concerned the game planning was around LeBron and then uh, Dwayne and Bosch were like secondary defensive strategy? We really didn't have a game plan for those guys. Wow. And that's no disrespect. That's we were like, yo, like that's the guy.
11: Hmm. We gotta stop that. If, if we don't stop that guy, the rest of the stuff doesn't matter. Like the Chris, Chris Bosh, obviously, was like, hey, man, we don't want him shooting easy jumpers. We don't want him getting left. But there was there was no second and third tier coverages for Chris Bosh like we had for LeBron. And with Dwayne Wade, it was more play him straight up, don't take his pump fake. You know, he was great in the mid-range and he would pump it, get guys up in the air. But for the most part, we were like, hey, we feel like if we switch Sean Marion onto him, that we like that matchup?
6: Well, Wade didn't mind that matchup much either. In fact, Wade led the Heat to a Game 1 win with 22 points, 10 rebounds, and 6 assists.
5: Here's Kidd around the arc to the right. Had it stripped by Bibby. Up the head, left side for James. Touch pass Wade, down the lane, laid it in with a foul on Stevenson. Where he continue their assault. The Mavs fought hard, but once again, Miami learned to close. Love to the rim, and James- throws it down for the dagger in game one. Dominant performance from the Miami Heat. 1-0 in the best of seven for Miami.
6: The series shifted in game two. Not because of a strategy or injury. It turned because of a celebration. It was the exact type of sports mythology fans want to believe all the time. But Haywood insists this was 100% real. Wade had just hit a three-pointer that put the Heat up 88 to 73, with just seven minutes and 14 seconds left in the game.
5: LeBron, straight down the middle, inside. Chalmers to Wade for three, got it! Wade from downtown! And the Heat have blown this game open. Miami, their largest lead of the night, 15.
6: Wade, always one to savor the moment, left his hand in the air for a few extra moments in front of the Mavs bench. And with Wade on his way back to his bench for a timeout, James walked backward in front of him before eventually shadow boxing with his superstar teammate. It apparently set the Mavericks ablaze. Here's Haywood
11: LeBron James comes in front of him. They do the little rap video punch thing and all that. I, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was in the back watching it and I'm livid, like my, I had strained my hip. And then it was like from that point on, Dirk and Jason Terry went on demon time and it was they miami didn't score again i don't think or if they did it was like some free throws i don't think they had another bucket for the rest of the game and we end up coming back if we don't win that game we probably don't win that series
6: the heat managed exactly five points after that a pair of lebron free throws and a mario chalmers three-pointer that actually tied the game at 93 all with 24 seconds left then with just three seconds remaining Nowitzki completed the comeback with a drive past bosch for a layup Wade missed a three that would have won it, and the Mavericks cracked the heat armor.
5: Nowitzki, spin inside. Nowitzki, the easy layup and in with 3.6 left. Wade to LeBron. James to Wade. Wade for the win. No, Dallas shocks Miami and wins at 95-93. They'll remember June 2nd. In the Dallas Mavericks franchise forever! What a comeback! Never give up, Lou. Never give up. Win a fight. Hey, never give up. Win a fight. Win a fight. Win a fight out there. Never give up.
6: Jason Terry recalled the huddle just before the Mavericks began their comeback.
7: We looked at each each guy in the huddle, to a man. Me specifically looked at Dirk and said, "There's no way we're going out like this. It's too much time left in this game, and uh, for us to go out." you know, in a blowout type fashion with them dunking on us, shooting threes on us, it would have really been disheartening.
6: Not enough to keep the momentum though. The Heat won game three in Dallas by two points behind another strong performance from Wade. But there was another element coming into play by game four. LeBron hadn't been his dominant self at all in this series. All the game planning from the Mavericks appeared to be getting in his head his point totals dropped from 24 to 20 to 17 in the first three games. To this point, with the Heat leading in the series, it was more of an interesting note than a sign of panic. Wade seemed well on his way to a second finals MVP if the series kept trending in this direction. LeBron would almost certainly be labeled the Scotty Pippen of the pair, hardly an insult, but certainly not the sidekick moniker James was hoping to take on. Then game four happened. And Heat fans would have loved a Scottie Pippen-type game from LeBron in that one. They got far less.
5: James misses both free throws. He's struggling from the field. And misses a couple of free throws. Two of eight from the field. Two of four from the
0: free throw line. That's code DKHOOPS for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours.
1: Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY, or text hope ny 467 In Connecticut... Help is available for problem gambling. Call 888 789 7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com/bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
10: I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery. But that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily, as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages, and untangle clues within my family's origin story, which has morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian Mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she? as my father believed, a witch. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe.
3: Mexico will likely have its first female president.
9: And then you have China.
6: Carlisle made some adjustments that flummoxed LeBron mid-series. In Game 4, he started J.J. Barea, a 5'10 point guard, and brought Deshaun Stevenson off the bench. It was a move designed to boost the Mavericks' offense, with Carlisle figuring Barea can defend Miami's starting point guard Mike Bibby without much concern. And while it didn't have quite the effect on the offense in Game 4 that Carlisle had hoped, the coach's other adjustment made that a moot point. Carlisle went to a zone defense that in 2011 was still quite rare in the NBA. It was LeBron's kryptonite, insomuch that his sudden weakness was inexplicable. James fires away. Short. Brian Windhorst had seen a version of this just a year earlier, LeBron's last in Cleveland. In a Game 5 with the series tied, James put up just 15 points on three of 14 shooting in 42 minutes at home against the Celtics and the Cavs lost by 32. One game later, he was pulling his jersey off on his way out of the city.
8: So to have that happen in back-to-back years, you know, in with at the highest stakes against teams that his team was better than, to be honest, and for him to do that two years in a row, I wondered, because in my view... A lot of people felt that LeBron quit on the Cavs, and that's why he played poorly in that series. He didn't play poorly in that series. He played poorly in that one game. And I never believed he quit. I believe that the pressure got to him. And I think the pressure got to him in Dallas. And so after two years of seeing that happen in back-to-back times, and this is a guy who always raised his level. Never before in his career could you ever say his team lost because of him. Uh, You know, they made the finals in 2007. In 2008, he played one of the classic games of that decade in Game 7 when they got eliminated against the Celtics, the eventual champion Celtics. He and Paul Pierce both went over 40 points in Game 7. In 2009, when they lost in the Eastern Conference Finals to to the Magic, LeBron had one of the greatest series in history by a player on a losing team. It was comparable to Jerry West. At the Lakers in 1969 when Jerry West won the MVP as uh, a losing team. That's how comparable that series was dominated. So, never before had I ever, could I ever look at LeBron and say, you were the reason your team didn't win. And that happened in 2010 and 2011 at the highest level. And so, it made me wonder if something within him had been broken and whether or not he was going to be able to get to the highest level.
6: The signature failure from James was when he couldn't successfully post up Berea who was nearly a foot shorter and probably 80 pounds lighter. James managed only eight points in an NBA Finals game in which he played 46 minutes. It's commonly considered his worst game as a professional. Chalmers believed college would have helped LeBron. No, seriously.
12: Now, this is my personal opinion. I don't know if this is how he felt or anything. I felt like he was a little confused. And what I mean by that is like, when you go to college you get to see every type of defense you want to pretty much. When you get to the NBA it's man up, guard your man, we'll help you this way or we'll help you that way. It's not a lot of zones to play. So when Dallas perfectly formed that zone to slow down LeBron, I don't think I don't think we had the mindset to really help him you know, get to the spots he need to to make him more successful, to make ourselves successful as a team. I think we just kind of forced things, and the more we forced them, it played into their hands instead of spacing it. So I just don't think that's why I go back to saying IQ. I just don't think we had the the total IQ to be ready for what everything that Dallas threw at us. It was just things he wasn't comfortable with. Like, he's used to being, getting the ball, being on top, being able to drive, see what's in front of him, see how to attack, and when you got – Little JJ Barrera, you know, swimming around. You can't really just put the ball down freely. You gotta always be aware and look. So I just don't think he was comfortable in the positions that he was.
6: Adding to that sense of lost opportunity was the condition of Dallas's lone star. Dirk Nowitzki was suffering through a sinus infection and who knows what else that night. It was evident throughout, as he had his worst game of the series shooting just six of 19 from the field.
8: We've confirmed that Dirk Nowitzki is playing tonight's basketball game with a fever, perhaps as high as 101 or 102
5: degrees. Nowitzki has been brilliant here in the finals, but he desperately needs some help. But that
6: zone defense and LeBron's subsequent disappearing act kept the Mavericks in the game. The Heat went scoreless for more than five minutes in the fourth quarter, and Dirk managed to fight through any discomfort and scored 10 of his 21 in the period.
0: And there
5: it is in the hands of Nowitzki. who has got about 102 fever.
6: LeBron, meanwhile, managed only one shot attempt in the fourth quarter. He missed it and had two turnovers.
5: Wade gets it back up top to James. James fakes, drives, pull-up jumper. Won't go, Miller the offensive rebound.
6: As if it wasn't bad enough to try to explain why the league's best player was apparently shrinking under the brightest of lights, James and Wade fanned the flames with an attempt at humor that fell horribly flat. In between games four and five, cameras were surrounding the pair as they appeared to mock Nowitzki's acknowledgment of his illness.
11: Oh, did y'all hear me cough? Think I'm sick. Hey, <laughs> 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 this weather, man. It's weather, great. Uh, it's hard to go from 85 degree weather, man, go to <laughs> <laughs> 90.
6: It might have been an attempt from Wade to take the attention away from LeBron and his dwindling numbers. It backfired. Here's Haywood.
11: It just, that's one of those things that it just gives you a little bit more buzz when you run around the court because they were disrespecting our leader. And Dirk already felt a certain way because of what happened in the finals when he lost to Miami the first time. And people were saying that, you know, uh, like there's rumors that Dwayne Wade said Dirk would never be a leader. So Dirk already. One, like he had a beef with Dwayne Wade, but he was already looking at Dwayne Wade side sideways, and so then him and LeBron out there laughing at the fact that he's sick. So Dirk's looking at it funny, the locker room's looking at it funny, and so we, and that was the first time in our eyes we we're like, yo, these guys really think they're better than us. Like they they think it's they think it's playtime. They they think they're just gonna flip a switch and beat us, and so that it just became like a rallying cry. It's just one of those things that. When everybody went out there on the court, it was like, yo, if we come out here and just play hard to the best of our abilities, we can punch these guys in the mouth. And once we punch them in the mouth, do not let your foot up off the gas. Like, that's the mentality. Like, Jason Terry was literally sitting there talking about LeBron can't guard me, And he really—and he didn't mean that, like, one-on-one. He's like, man, I'm about to run him ragged. He don't want to run around these screens. And at that point, he didn't. To this day, Bron hates guarding guys that, that run around in screens like Jason Terry. I'm going to run him ragged and get any shot I want. Ain't nothing he can do about it. He up here, and, and he's like, he's up here laughing at dirt. I want to see him laugh and come check me. Like, that was the mentality. These were conversations that were actually had.
6: The Mavericks scored 86 points or less in three of the games at this point. And somehow, the series was still tied at two apiece. And now, Dallas had added motivation. Nowitzki was feeling better in game five. And the Mavericks' offense re-energized managing to pull away in the fourth quarter to take the game and the series lead.
5: Got it! And the Mavericks are one win away from an NBA championship. What a performance from the veteran Dallas Mavericks. The
6: finals format at the time was still 2-3-2, which meant games six and seven would be back in Miami. Carlisle wasn't the coach of the Mavericks when they lost to Miami in the 2006 finals but he did borrow a move from then Heat head coach, Pat Riley.
1: But knowing that if you don't win a night, you have a second I'm chance
6: I'm not at it. even thinking about it, you know. I packed one suit, one shirt, and one tie. When the Heat were headed back to Dallas after taking a 3-2 series lead, he told his team to pack one suit and one tie because they wouldn't need a second game to win the title. It worked then, as Miami won that sixth game and the championship, so Carlisle put his own twist on it. Here's Haywood. Well, maybe that's where they stole it from, but we didn't know that. <laughs> and so all we knew is
11: and if you go back and look, everybody had one suit, but everybody walked in in black, whether it was a black button-up, a black polo, a black jacket, everybody was wearing black. We, we there was in our mind there was no game 7. It's game 6. We're winning the game. And then we're getting out of here, getting ready for our parade. And oh yeah, let's, let's wear all black because it's, it's, it's funeral music time. You get down towards the end of that game. It's probably like anywhere from three to five minutes left. I look down there and the heat are down like 10. Still enough time to possibly come back. It's probably like three minutes left. And I looked over there and the only person in the huddle speaking or showing any type of heart was Mario Chalmers. Like you can tell like Braun was thinking about what she's going to say at the press conference. Dwayne Wade is over here. Like, I looked up and I remember I'm, I'm, ta- I'm tapping Deshaun Stevens. I'm like, yo, dog, look at, look at their huddle. I said, they're done. Dog, they're done. That was when I knew the series was over. There was no camaraderie. There was no cohesion. There was no rah-rah speech. That was when I knew they were done. Three minutes left to play, game six.
6: It was over. The Heat didn't have a response left in them. Nowitzki and the Mavericks celebrated their first championship in franchise history on Miami's floor with a Game 6 win.
5: Nowitzki puts it up, puts it in, makes it a 10-point game! And only fitting, Dirk Nowitzki sealing the deal. Elevating his status amongst the NBA's greats. The Mavericks have scaled the NBA playoff mountain and have planted their flag. They are the NBA champions for 2010, 2011.
6: Bosch was in tears again, falling to his knees in the hallway leading to the Heat locker room. An entire season of extremes ended in stunning fashion. And the examination of just how that happened was well underway all eyes were fixed firmly on LeBron James. The Heat didn't withstand all the hatred from everyone outside of Miami all season long, just so James could fail them when they needed him most. The ending to his first season with the Heat couldn't have gotten much worse for LeBron. And then it did. If his performance in the finals wasn't enough ammunition for an entire offseason of mockery, his performance on the post-game podium would prove just as bad. In a series where LeBron James had never looked more human, he managed to appear less relatable than ever with an answer to one question. And it would set the tone for a dark, lonely, extended off-season.
7: Does it bother you
11: that so many people are happy to see you fail? Absolutely not. Because at the end of the day, um, all the people that was rooting on me to fail, at the end of the day they got to wake up tomorrow have the same life that they had um, before they woke up today you know they got the same personal problems they had today you know and i'm gonna continue to live the way i want to live and continue to do the things that i want to do with me and my family and be happy with that so um you know they can get a few days or a few months or whatever the case may be on uh being happy about um not only myself uh, but the miami heat not accomplishing their goal but You know,
6: they got to get back to the real world at some point. Coming up next on Four Years of Heat.
3: When LeBron and Savannah got into the house, he was looking over the balcony on the second floor and jumped over the balcony into the pool below.
6: He
13: got in the lab and he came back a completely different basketball player, which was crazy because you already thought he had reached the pinnacle of who he could be and what he could be. I looked around. And I hadn't felt like this edge ever in the NBA. You know, it reminded me of my days at Duke. I'm like, oh, we're winning this. (laughs) We're winning this. And I knew right then, we're winning this. I understand LeBron and Dwayne is great, but don't disrespect the work that I put in. Don't disrespect my craft. Don't disrespect who I am. And I felt like that was disrespectful.
9: I don't believe that there has ever in my lifetime covering sports in this market... A more pressurized game than that one that LeBron James played in game six in Boston.
13: We knew what was on the line, right? But the look, the look on, you know, LeBron's face, I got this. I got
6: this. Four Years of Heat is a production of iHeartRadio and the NBA.
2: The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world.
4: In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started the Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to the Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
10: Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great great grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a who done it for the ages. Listen to the Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.